Take a deeper dive into the art, lives, and legacies of Billie Holiday, Ella Fitzgerald, and the women who played a vital role in inventing American popular music. I'll be seeing you. Watch videos, read essays, and hear the full Turning the Tables playlist at npr.org slash turning the tables. Nineteen sixty nine was a pivotal year for music here in the United States. This year marked the fiftieth anniversary of the Woodstock Music and Arts Festival, and there were also a ton of albums released in nineteen sixty nine that eventually became iconic for their influence on all music that came after them. And this week we're gonna take a closer look at another one of those influential albums. The very first Santana album called simply Santana. It's a record that had a profound impact musically and socially, a mashup of cultural influences that made a statement about Latin music that still reverberates to this day. And who better to tell the story of the creation of the album than some of the original members of Santana that recorded it. This week we're going to hear an oral history about that first Santana album from guitarist Carlos Santana, drummer Michael Shreve, conguero Michael Carabello, as well as keyboardist and vocalist Greg Raleigh. But before we hear from them, let's hear more of the track Waiting, the first cut on side one. And yes, there will be vinyl references on the show this week. The first Santana album was released on August 30th, 1969. And one of the most interesting facts about the album is that it is a portrait of a band in transition. Here's Carlos Santana. We recorded in, in CBS uh, Los Angeles uh, with Mr. David Rubinson. But we didn't like the way it sounded. We didn't like the way it feel. It, it, it took the rawness away from it or whatever it was. So we felt that we have enough clout to say, we don't care. That one's not going out. We're going to do it again, and we're going to find our own producer. So we find some guy in Hit Ashbury. I don't even know if he was a producer. We just convinced him that he was. <laughs> so that's why the album sounds so raw, you know, because he didn't know what he was doing, I don't think, and neither were we. But we know that if it had energy or not. This is drummer Michael Shreve. They were already signed. Clive Davis already signed them. They had gone to L.A. to record but they didn't like the way the record sounded. I guess they were looking for another drummer as well, so it was like the second shot at making a record. Conguero Michael Carabello. So we went to the recording studio, and the drummer still wasn't getting it, was still wasn't making it. We had taken about four, if not three or four takes on songs, and I pulled Carlos aside and I said, man, this drummer's just not making it. It's having a hard time. And keyboardist and lead vocalist Greg Raleigh. Rubinson pulled Carlos and I aside and said, you guys are the, are the guys of this band and you need to change some personnel. And, and so we did. By the time the drummer was walking out, he had just been, not laid off, he had just been fired. Michael Shreve just walked through the door. One night I walked into this recording studio and as I walked in, the drummer of Santana was walking out. We literally passed each other in the doorway. Doc was on his way out while Mike Shreve came in. It was, it, it was strange, but that's what happened, and that became the band. The band that recorded that album all lived together in the same house. Six young men in their 20s who apparently had more ambition 
than actual musical know-how, which was kind of a good thing, according to Carlos Santana. We we didn't know what we were doing. I mean, and thank God we didn't, you know, because it sounds so raw and innocent. I don't think any of us really, really knew what we were doing. We kind of were just adding stuff, and it was like a a buffet of learning. The the way the the music came together was like we just experimented with everything and anything, and and it was we were making our own way. I heard a story that Clive Davis came to see the band before signing us up, and uh, and said something to the effect, "Well, I don't get this, but all these people do." Let me say this: when I first heard some of that record on the radio when that record came out, it blew me away. I think the first thing I heard was Jingo on the radio. And even hearing myself on the record, but being able to sit back and enjoy it like an outsider, I think, wow, that sounds really great. And it sounds really different than anything you hear on the radio. The first time I heard I heard Jingo, I was driving home from the airport and had the radio on and it came on and I didn't even recognize it. I was like, wow, this is really cool. Who is this? Oh, it was me. (laughs) (laughs) And it was Jingo. And first time I ever heard any of my music, anything that I was associated with, was that time. And it blew my mind. It sounded wonderful. You know, it it could have sounded like garbage. I still would have, oh my God, I'm on the radio.
You're listening to Alt Latino. I'm Felix Contreras. And this week we're talking to some of the original members of Santana about the story behind their groundbreaking first album, released 50 years ago this month. Bassist David Brown and percussionist Jose Chapito Arias were the other bandmates. And as Michael Carabello describes it, they each brought their own musical inspirations and a shared passion for a sound they had not heard yet. I was listening to Jimi Hendrix, Sly and the Family Stone, Gabor Zabo, Willie Bobo. Uh, Chapito was listening to the Los Maniquitos. Uh, Carlos was coming from a, a blues bag of B.B. King. Albert King, you know, uh, the King dynasty. And Greg was coming from the uh, Jimmy Smith playing of that sort. And Michael Shrees was into uh, Chico Hamilton and, and you know, other drummers and stuff. So it was a blending of everyone's different styles that made the sound. And when I first met Carlos, uh, he was doing exactly what I wanted to do, and that's why I hooked up with him. I wanted to play my own music. I, you know, I'm not good at copying other people's music. It just, uh, it didn't interest me. And so we would take songs and make them our own. And everything became the the gel of this band. And it didn't matter if somebody brought in 10% of, of the information for the, to play on or 80% or whatever, it all counted. And it was a real group and every little piece came together um in my opinion is, is why it worked we did everything from rock to latin to jazz so we kind of just had our own sound all of a sudden and, and uh the gel of it is is that this percussion section was all of a sudden it was an outstanding thing that let carlos play over play all his blues stuff and and greg play his jimmy smith stuff i was trying to um back rhythm and guitar work and 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 be the bed for all of this stuff and that, that's how it developed and then solos of course have to slam and be loud <laughs> um and we based all our music off of that kind of feel it was really it, rhythmic is it was it i want to watch girls hips move <laughs> <laughs> our music started going everywhere and i started noticing that you know uh Everyone from Miles Davis to Jimi Hendrix to Sly Stone to the Rolling Stones, all of a sudden they had congas. So I said, hmm, something's working. We just kind of opened the doors to everything, and uh, whatever stuck, stuck. I, and we just created a new kind of music. And as far as, far as what, I, what was I thinking, I hope I'm right. <laughs> right. I call it shaking hands with the jungle because that's what we were doing. I mean, we had these different instruments. We played them different. Uh, again, you know, we had no idea that we were even, or did we care about making it, being something. We just like to play. We like to play, and we like to blow people's mind at what we do, and and all of us had it no other way. It was kind of like, you know, a, a going into a team, it's like, we got this, you know, and you sure do not want to come on after us. And one of the things that we were known for is not stopping from going from, okay, that was that song, and then stop, and then tune up and go into another song. We would play song after song that bled into something else. Bill Graham is the one who said, you need songs. <laughs> Carlos and I looked at each other, we got songs, what are you talking about? He goes, you freaking hippies, don't just play long-ass jams. And you, there's never a song in there. You just play for a long time, and it's just a jam. 
and and I want you to learn what a a, a verse, a chorus, a verse, chorus. What's that? You know, and he says this. He played evil ways for us, and he goes, "I told Willie Bobo that you were gonna kick his ass with his own song." <laughs> I was like, "What?" <laughs> and so we played it for Bill, basically, and uh, it ended up being first single.
In an attempt to shake loose some long-forgotten memories of the album from the guys in the band, I tried a little word association. I mentioned the name of a song and asked for the first thing that came to mind. And I used the second cut on side two, Treat. Here's Carlos Santana. Oh, Les McKinn, Eddie Harris, uh, Ramsey Lewis, you know, that kind of thing. Conguero Michael Carabello. Treat was a beautiful song written. Uh, Carlos and, and Greg wrote that song before I was in the band. But very, very, very beautiful. Me bringing in the band and Chapito being in the band and Michael Street being in the band, when we went to record that, we had a double time the write out of the song. Greg Raleigh, remember? <laughs> uh, marijuana. <laughs> I can, and I'll tell you why. <laughs> because it's the only time I ever took a hit. I didn't like it. And I, I took a hit of, of marijuana to, and I played that song. And it was like a, a totally different experience. I'll put it that way. And, and had to shorten the solos. I had to think and I couldn't think. <laughs> So, so that's what strikes me. I never, I never did that again.
We got one more tune for you. It's called Soul Sacrifice. And finally, the other significant event of 1969, the band's legendary performance of Woodstock, which put the band on the musical map. Michael Carabello explains. You know, we got discovered there because of Bill Graham. Uh, Michael Lang needed a favor, and Bill Graham said, unless you let my band play, I can't help you out. So we didn't even have a record out. You know, the Waiting Evil Ways and all that didn't come out until three weeks later. The other thing about that gig is, you know, you, you might look at the footage on TV or in the movie, and none of us are playing to the crowd. <laughs> we're all playing to one another. Uh, we had no idea that we were going to be the hit of the event. But again, Woodstock was about the people, and everybody that was there saw us and went, what is that? You know, we were just on fire. This is drummer Michael Shreve. The only thing that comes to my mind, Felix, is that we were really together. We were together as friends, as a band unit, like a little, like a street gang, and the weapon was music. So, you know, if we were a street gang and we got our solace from each other, our strength from each other, in the face of being in front of 400, 500,000 people, we just played to each other and kept it together that way. And it was it was a lot of fun, as you can see in the in the film. To me, I had a great time. On that day, Carlos Santana had something else on his mind: surrender, defer. I defer and surrender to God. I said, God, please help me to stay in time and in tune. And He heard me. I was totally at the peak of hallucinogenic mind expansion all the way into that place where you're not supposed to play or even talk or function. You're just supposed to sit down and allow it because it's, it's almost like a, a, a divine storm that comes to you and you cannot articulate, although I did. So I think they were hoping that I would not create a disaster by being not in shape to play. Santana performed at Woodstock, 
2 p.m. on August 16, 1969. And during my interview with Michael Shreve on August 16, 2019, this happened. It's like, Felix, 50, 50 years ago to the minute that this occurred. Right now. Right now. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's 2 o'clock in Washington. Yes, it is. Oh, and you guys hit the stage at 2 o'clock. Yeah. Oh, wow. What an honor, Michael. Man. <laughs> I didn't plan that. <laughs> yeah, well, here it is, brother. <laughs> well, hey, man. Well, let's just, we'll just let the universe reverberate then. We'll leave it at that. Yeah. I think we're cool for okay. right now, man. My thanks to Carlos Santana, Michael Shreve, Michael Carabello, and Greg Raleigh for their time and their memories. What are your memories of hearing this album for the first time? Drop us a line on Facebook and Twitter. We are NPR Music's Alt Latino. I'm Felix Contreras. As always, thank you so much for listening.